thank you for doing so. And those of you who are listening online through our live feed, thank you for joining us, joining us in that way as well. As we've said a couple times already, today is Palm Sunday, the beginning of Holy Week, which means we are approaching the end of our Lenten journey following Jesus to the cross. And with it, we've been coming to the final week of our Lenten sermon series today entitled Faithful Presence. In this series, we've been looking at the incredible faithful presence of God as seen from the very beginning to the very end of Scripture. We've been learning about how God's faithful presence is the only thing that truly enables us to be ambassadors for Christ in the world. And we've been learning these practices that help us be more faithfully present with God and with others. These practices that we've looked at are not limited to, but have included the practice of the Lord's table or communion, something we'd make a point of doing every single week an open table where everyone is invited to come and remember what Jesus does. We've also looked at the practice of reconciliation, the practice of proclamation, proclaiming the good news, the gospel, and the practice of being with the least of these. And I sure hope you found these to be, like me, uh, both encouraging and challenging. Because that's really what Lent and the idea of practices or habits, it's all about. It's to help us more fully know and experience the reality of God's faithful presence with us so that we can share the good news, the gospel of Jesus with others as we live out that faithful presence with those around us. Because the truth is, we all need God's faithful presence. Every single one of us, we cannot do this life on our own. And you're going to see how that echoes in our practice today. But we also have to remember that not only do we all need God's faithful presence, but the incredible good news is that the faithful faithful presence of God isn't gone. It's here, literally right now. It's never left us. It's with us. It's in us. It's, It's out there. It's everywhere. And it's something available for all of us to know and experience all the time. And there, there's, there's not a depth of experience that we can get to where we've reached our full understanding of this. So hopefully something that's been coming out is a longing to experience more of that presence. That's really what we're going to be celebrating next week for Easter. We're going to be celebrating the ultimate story of God's willingness to do whatever it takes so that we can experience the faithful presence of God with us all the time. We're going to be celebrating the work that Jesus did to make that happen. It's going to be a party. And if you haven't started inviting your friends or anyone you know who doesn't know this good news, uh, please do so. We have three services. We have plenty of space to hold you, to celebrate, and to share that with them. And we really hope that you will join us in that. Today, however, we are going to close out our Faithful Presence series looking at the practice of being with children. And it fits perfectly with our Palm Sunday service and the Kids Life Hosanna Palm Procession. Hopefully you got here in time to experience the adorableness of that. Um, and in doing so today, we are going to be looking primarily at the text in Matthew chapter 18, starting with verse 1 through 5. So if you have a Bible, you could go ahead and turn there to Matthew chapter 18, starting with verse 1. If you don't, don't, excuse me, you can not worry about it because I will have the text displayed um, on the the walls as well. So you can join that way. 
Before we do anything more, though, I think it only makes sense that we pray, so let me do so. Father, Son, Spirit, as we've spoken of your presence, we uh, long for it. And so, God, help us not to just use words. Help us not to just think about it. Help us to experience it. As this candle in the table is lit, reminding us of the presence of you, Holy Spirit, we ask that you would move in this space in a tangible way, that we would hear and respond to you, that we'd be challenged where we need to be challenged and encouraged and upheld where we need to be challenged and upheld. Yeah, Lord, we, we recognize once again our need for you, for your presence. And at the same time, we give you thanks that you're with us. Continue to be with us as we study, as we learn together. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. As we begin, the first thing I want us to do is think about one word. And this word, I want you to hold on for our time. And that word is the word surrender. And with this word, I want you to think for a moment about it, what it means and what images it conjures up for you. What do you think of when you hear this word? And I want you to think about whether you think of this word as a positive word or a negative word. And the reason I want us to think about this is because I think one of the keys to all of these practices we've been looking at is this idea of surrender. Now, by general definition, surrender means to cease resistance, to give oneself up to another, to yield power and control to another. Biblically speaking, this might be illustrated in language we see in the scriptures like, not my will, but your will be done. Or if we think of the language of the Lord's prayer that Jesus teaches the disciples, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Or we might think of Philippians chapter 2 describing how we should live and how it should be like Jesus. It says this in Philippians chapter 2, starting with verse 3. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourself. Not looking to your own interest, but each of you to the interest of others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in the very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. In order for us to experience this faithful presence of God, we need to be actively willing to surrender. And every one of these practices we've looked at calls us to address what we're willing to surrender in order to experience the faithfulness of God. Whether that's surrendering to God's will in our life or to the ways of the kingdom versus the ways of our culture or surrendering to the power of God and surrendering to the faithful presence and empowering of the Holy Spirit as opposed to us just trying to do everything on our own. And so today I want you to hold on to this idea of surrender as we're looking at our final practice that's designed to help us experience the faithful presence of God. Each one of these practices is designed to do that. And that today is the practice of being with children. And I'm going to say this right now. I'm going to pause and be really honest and just say, being with children, it's not easy. 
Uh, it's hard. Why? Well, because children, especially babies and toddlers, they are extremely vulnerable. They're desperate. They're helpless. And if we're being really honest, we avoid those who are vulnerable, desperate, and helpless, right? We're not looking for more people who are vulnerable, desperate, and helpless in our lives. We got our own stuff. And this is why Ben talked last week about the practice of being with the least of these. Nothing illustrates this idea better than children, because literally on their own, the minute they're born, a baby, an infant, a small child, they cannot live on their own. From the moment a child is born, it needs relationship through faithful presence in order to survive. So quick survey Uh, How many people here have kids, parents? That's a lot of you. Nice work. Um, The commitment you all can agree to have a child, to care for a child, is huge. They can't eat, walk, talk, get dressed, clean up for themselves, fend for themselves, nothing. And as parents... We are constantly hoping we are going to get to that point where our child can do things on their own because it's going to make faithful presence so much easier, right? Like, I can't wait till we get out of the diaper stage. That's going to transform our life. Or, or when our kid can walk or when they can help with chores or do their own homework or make their own food or whatever it is, we keep thinking when we get to that stage, it's going to be easier. But the truth is it doesn't matter what stage of life our children are at. They require, but not just require, they long for, just like you and I, for faithful presence. It just looks different, and it's expressed in different ways. And so the challenge of will I be present is always there. Just recently, we had our snowpocalypse, you all remember, and uh, this was a good space for me to be challenged in faithful presence. If you were on social media in any form, it was only a few days in when you pretty much saw every parent begging for the snow to go away, right? Because they were like, good Lord, how much time is the snow going to be here? Because they're overwhelmed with how much time they had to spend with their kids who are normally at school all day. As parents, we're constantly challenged with faithful presence. Will I go out and play in the snow with my kids again? Will I watch them sled down the hill again? Will I help them get all their warm clothes on? Am I going to do another round of laundry? Will I actually join them in their play or, and be present, or am I just going to stand on my phone on the side? Am I spending time with them Or am I just kind of near them? Not to mention, will I say no to doing work and yes to being present with my kids? And the reality is this becomes even harder when you're not talking about your own kids but somebody else's kids, right? Who's got time for that? Kids, if we're being honest, they long to be seen, they long to be known, they long to be heard, they long to be engaged with and loved. And to do this, we have to surrender to the invitation of faithful presence. And that's always hard. 
Some of you know I just got back from being on a little over a week's vacation with my kids. We went to Zion. We went to Bryce Canyon. Went to these amazing places we've never been before. We went with Dean and Crystal Peterson and their kids. So, so there was two sets of adults, four kids. And we had amazing time. Saw amazing things. But in no way was it easy. At one point, I wish I caught this on video. At one point, on one of the last days, us adults let the kids all stay in the motorhome that the Petersons were using to live in. So all four kids in the rental, in the rental motorhome, us adults said we wanted to go check out the next hike. And you could just imagine, I'm in the driver's seat, Jen's in the passenger seat, Dean and Crystal get in the car, and right as they get in the car, it was like a scene from the Dukes of Hazard. It was like, go, 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 and gravel shooting. It was like, let's get out of here. And it was, we were laughing so hard, and our kids could totally hear us say, go, go. And it was this face, it was like this cry for freedom, right? And uh, it has nothing to do with us disliking our children, We love our children. We were having an amazing trip, but it's exhausting. It's tiring. It's hard to be present with anyone, and especially with kids. It requires surrender, and it requires sacrifice. And if we're being honest, we don't want to do this. And so it's always been this way. And if you look back in the history, you find it's that children all the way back in Old Testament times, they were treated horribly if they were cared for at all. In many ways, children were seen as half-human all the way back then. Girls in particular were the most vulnerable and suffered the most, especially newborn girls. They were often just thrown away, literally thrown away, left to die of exposure, starvation, predation, or they were sold into slavery. In fact, what's interesting, if you look at the ancient languages, including the the Koine New Testament Greek, it doesn't have a gendered word for child. Most languages, they have a masculine and a feminine version. But in the Koine Greek, for example, the word child is not masculine or feminine. It's neutered. It's not a he or a she, but an it. It's not a subject, but an object. Kids have been hard from the very beginning. And this brings us to our text for today. So again, if you have your Bible, you could turn to Matthew 18. We're going to start with verse 1, and we're going to dive into this teaching we see from Jesus. It says this. At the time, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, Who then is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Jesus calls a little child to him and placed the child among them. And he said, truly, I tell you, unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever takes the lowly position of this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And whoever welcomes one such child in my name welcomes me. So the context of this passage is that it opens up with the disciples once again jockeying for positions of power, which we kind of want to cue the like how many times are you going to figure this out, right? What does Jesus do this time? He takes out an it and puts it right in the middle, in the place of preeminence. 
Literally, that's what the scripture says. He called a little child, a paideon, which is the word it, to him and placed the child, which is atas, which is it, among them. The NIV has translated this word it to child, but it's literally the word it. Why change this? Because it's terribly uncomfortable to refer to a child as an it, right? <laughs> we don't say, oh, there's, there's my little it there. I have one of them. I have two little its, right? We don't do that. Um, it makes us uncomfortable just saying that. But here's the thing. We are way less uncomfortable saying it than the disciples were when Jesus took this child and it and put it in the middle of them and said this. Theologian N.T. Wright actually thinks the best translation for this word is not it um, or child, but she. Because it makes the most dramatic point that Jesus is trying to get the disciples to understand. That the weakest, the most vulnerable, the least significant human being that you could imagine in their time period, she, a little girl, is the clearest signpost of what the kingdom of God is like. The kingdom of God is not about the survival of the fittest. It's not an evolutionary process where the weak are weeded out in favor of the strongest, fastest, smartest, loudest people. The disciples constantly jockeying for power comes from them getting caught up in the culture's way of thinking, not in God's kingdom way of thinking. But you can get this, right? They spent years with Jesus. They believe Jesus is the real deal, right? And they're getting caught up in thinking, we're with this guy with great power. And we all can relate to that when we get into those groups where we think we're with the best. And so they're thinking they're on the team. We're with the king of kings. We're with the hero we've been waiting for. And they start thinking like the world thinks, and they want more power and more authority. And so it's in this crazy scene where Jesus then takes this small little girl, shy and vulnerable and unsure of herself in many ways, incapable of much of anything, and yet at the same time, this child is trusting and open and ready to listen and to learn and to grow and to love and be loved. And Jesus picks up this little girl and puts this little girl right in the midst of them, right among them, with them. And requires them to deal with her, who's never been noticed by such people. And Jesus then says the following things to them. Truly, I tell you, unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever takes the lowly position of this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And whoever welcomes one such child in my name welcomes me. Can you imagine? He's telling the disciples to look at this child and then to go learn the things that she has to teach them and even better to go imitate this little girl in the way you live. Jesus is constantly upending everything. Literally, their world, our world, constantly retraining our eyes not to be awed by power, 
but to tend instead to faithful presence, to the vulnerable, and to all relationships. What we see in this text is that with Jesus, what was seen as an it is transformed into a she. And what is seen as an it is, becomes a him. And Jesus takes one that in that world, in that culture, is absolutely despised, discounted, and makes it into a person who is to be celebrated and imitated. That's what Jesus does, you guys. And he does this not through power, but through faithful presence. Now, today's Palm Sunday, and with the story of Palm Sunday that was read and we saw the kids participate, it's important for us to know that the disciples at that time of that story, they think they know what it means for the coming Messiah to enter the holy city of Jerusalem, right? But this story, just like ours today, in history is just like what Jesus does over and over again. Jesus is challenging power over presence. Many theologians and scholars have written about how the entrance into Jerusalem by Jesus on Palm Sunday in many ways is a form of like street theater. For example, preaching professor Chuck Campbell from Columbia Theological Seminary says this. It's kind of a long thing. I'm going to read it for you, but it says this. When Jesus does finally enter the city... He enjoys all the trappings of a great military procession for a triumphal national hero. The people participating in the event do everything a victorious military leader would expect. The whole time, however, Jesus is turning imperial notions of power and rule on their head. His theater is a humorous piece of political satire. In his triumphal entry, Jesus lampoons the powers that be and their pretensions to glory and dominion, and he enacts an alternative to their way of domination. Riding on a colt, his feast possibly dragging on the ground, Jesus comes not as one who lords his authority over others, but as one who humbly rejects domination. He comes not with pomp and wealth, but as one identified with the poor. He comes not as a mighty warrior, but as one who is vulnerable and refuses to rely on violence. Jesus here takes the role of a jester who enacts in a humorous, disorienting way a totally different understanding of rule and invites people to see and live in the world in a new way. Another commentary by Michael Lindvall talks about the Palm Sunday procession as a parody and says this, The Palm Sunday reality was a living parody on what they were dreaming about. There was no stallion for this Messiah, just a donkey on loan. There was no army with this Messiah, just a ragtag assortment of unemployed fishermen, an errant tax collector, and some vaguely disreputable women and children waving palm branches. And this Messiah was no vanquisher of Romans. He was a Galilean rabbi. I mean, the entire Palm Sunday story is just like our text today in Matthew 18. It's designed to show us how completely different the ways of Jesus and the kingdom of God are compared to the ways of the world. And he's getting at this idea that it has nothing to do with power, it has everything to do with presence. And to be clear, 
if we go back to our text in Matthew, Jesus is not using this child, this little girl, simply as an object lesson. He's not just using her for some kind of illustration or example. Jesus actually loves these kids. He loves the children. He loves the vulnerable, the desperate, the helpless. Jesus knows what the world is like. And because kids are so eager, so trusting, so teachable and vulnerable, he knows that's why they are also at risk. Which if you continue in our text in Matthew, you'll see in verses 6 through 9, which we don't have time to look at, he gives us these crazy warnings to anyone who causes these little ones to stumble and basically says, it'd be better if you tied a millstone to your neck and got in the water and died. Again, using powerful language to show the importance that Jesus has caring for kids. But what I want us to see is something, for some reason, I've read this text a thousand times, But this time, this stuck out to me. It says this in verse 10 of chapter 18. Jesus says, See that you do not despise one of these little ones. For I tell you that their angels in heaven always see the face of my Father in heaven. The identity of these little ones are children, but they're also the least of these like Ben talked about last week. Anyone who's vulnerable, desperate, in need of help. Jesus is saying, do not despise them. And another word for despise is the word contempt, which means to lack respect, to look down on, or to treat as worthless. Jesus says of children, don't look down on them or treat them as less than you. Don't disrespect them. In any way. Now, it's always, I, I found it interesting because I've worked with youth for close to 20 years, and one of my favorite verses to, teaching, to teach them was from 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 12, which is talking to young people, and it says, Don't let anyone look down on you because you are young, but set an example in speech and life and love and faith and purity. So, so here we have Jesus saying, Don't despise these kids, care for them. And later we see teachings of the kids saying, hey, people are going to look down on you. Be an example to them. But what I really want you to see, I want you to check this out. The angels of these little ones are some of the few creatures that don't have to hide their face from God. The angels of children are able to look directly at the face of God. They have constant access to the very faithful presence of God. Isn't that amazing? I don't know why I never saw that. And talk about a challenge to the power-struggling disciples. Jesus says, you want to know about power and privilege? Be like this little one, this little girl who thinks and lives and moves and questions and trusts and relies on and loves in ways you can't imagine. Jesus says, you need to change and be like this. This little one's angel has direct access to the ever-faithful presence of God. Can you imagine If we're being honest, we see the vulnerable, the weak, the lowly, the needy. We see them with contempt. We tend to despise. 
We tend to look down. We lack respect, right? God doesn't. God gives unhindered access. God gives constant, faithful presence. What does that mean for us? What it means is that children are a constant, visible reminder of God's kingdom among us. When you see kids, you should see them as a visible, tangible reminder of the faithful presence of God. And this is why the church in all of its history has been a place that tended to children. And it's why we do the same here at One Life as well. When the early church began, one of its ministries from the very beginning was to literally walk around at night looking for abandoned children that were left out on the street to die. To bring them into their homes, to claim them for the family of God. It's one of the ways the early church significantly grew in its first three centuries. That was their ministry. Can you imagine that was your ministry to go out in the middle of the night and find babies that were left? But that's what they did. That's how the church started and grew. And the practice of tending to and being with children has been a practice central to the church from its very beginning. And we see it, right, be it child baptisms or dedications or confirmation classes or catechism. The church has been about caring for, raising up, and discipling children. And we are very fortunate here at One Life to have lots of children, We have an amazing Kids Life ministry. And even if you are here for the very first time, hopefully you can see that we're very purposeful in allowing our children to be present and participate in all that we do. Be it our time of worship or prayer, greeting people, our service opportunities, coming to the communion table, helping with hospitality, art, our times of fellowship, you name it. Everything we do, it always includes our children. And today, our children invited us to remember Palm Sunday with their Hosanna procession. What I want you to hear is that uh, here at One Life, we believe in presence over programs with our children. We don't just put our kids in a separate room with a video or a bouncy house for the next hour and a half. We want them to be active participants in the life of our church, and we see their presence as a vital part of our church. And as you can imagine, as a result, it requires a lot of help. It requires sacrifice and surrender of our parents because it's really nice to show up and say, hey, you go, I've been with my kids all week, you go take care of my kids. Whatever you do is fine. We're very thankful for all of our Kids Life volunteers because we cannot do what we do without them. And yet we still have a lot of people who stay as far away from Kids Life as possible, right? Because if we're being honest, anyone that's vulnerable, desperate, helpless, in need, we avoid Many people will say the reason why I don't hang out with the kids is because I don't have the gift of being with kids, which FYI, there is no spiritual gift about being with children, 
right? We're all called to practice being with children, whether you have kids or not, and to be present with them, whatever your gifting is. It is interesting, I read uh, about this church who requires anyone that's a regular attender. You're not, not even a member. Just if you're a regular attender, they require you to be involved with the kids at least once every six weeks. Because they believe so much in the practice of being with children and how it helps us engage with the very presence of God. And so if you don't volunteer in um, any way with our kids' life or our youth, I'd really encourage you to prayerfully consider this. Not just as a way to serve, that's great, but I really want you to hear this is a, a, a tangible way to grow in your engagement with the faithful presence of God simply by being with children. I have talked plenty, so I'm going to stop there, and I'm going to invite our worship team and our prayer team to come forward. And as we do, um, they're going to get ready to play for a few moments to give us space to ponder and reflect upon what we've been talking about. But I want to give you some guidance to think about and reflect upon. And if you want to share that with me through your connection cards, you can get that out and right on the back. And then when you leave today, you could drop it in one of the wood boxes. Um, if you want to just think about, reflect on it on your own without sharing with me, that's fine too. Um, but here's the questions I want you to be thinking about as we close out this series and prepare for Easter. The first thing I want you to think about is this idea again of surrender. Where do you need to surrender in order to invite and engage the faithful presence of God more fully. Doesn't even have to be with kids. Just in general, what do you have to surrender in order to invite and engage the faithful presence of God more fully? Another thing you could think about is your relationships that you have with children. And even if you don't have kids, it doesn't have to be yours. It could be your neighbors. It could be your family. It could be your friends. It could just be the kids here at One Life. I want you to think about your relationships that you have with children. And then I want you to think about how might God be calling you to be more faithfully present with them. What do you have to surrender in order to make space to do so? And finally, I'd invite you to think about the difference between being with and becoming like children. The difference between being with and becoming like children. And with that, I want you to wonder, is there a difference? Or does being with children cause us to become more like them? I'd love to hear from you on any of these or something else. I'm going to allow for some space for us to pray. You can use it to confess, to own, to give thanks, to receive, to be filled, to dream, whatever you feel called to in this time. Take advantage of it as the band plays. I also want to point out our prayer teams over here in the corner. So if you have prayer needs of any kind, um, they would be honored to pray with and for you. So please take advantage of that. I'm going to close our time with prayer. And then the band will play instrumentally for a few moments, and then they're going to lead us in one last song of response. Um, So join with me. Father, Son, Spirit, we recognize in our own selves how much we are like the disciples, always looking to advance ourselves, 
we put ourselves before others, we're looking for more opportunities to do so. And we tend to show contempt to those who are in need, who are desperate, helpless, so much so that we may even avoid them. And yet, God, we see in your word over and over again, you telling the disciples, you telling us, it has nothing to do with power, nothing to do with accomplishments, nothing to do with degrees or education, anything like that. It has everything to do with your faithful presence. That's where transformation happens. And so, God, we ask that you would help us to surrender to that. To you, Holy Spirit, thank you that you are here in our midst. Thank you that you're in us, in our very breath. You give us life. And so, Lord, help us to be actively surrendering to those things in order to enter into your presence. And today we give you thanks for the children in our midst. Thank you for the reminder that they are of your very faithful presence and the challenge that you have given us to be more purposeful at being present with these kids. We count it both as a church, as an individuals, as a great honor, and as a humble opportunity to serve and to care for them, but also to be present with you in doing so. So empower us, Holy Spirit, however you're calling us to as we leave, as we go, as we be. Um, thank you that you never leave us. And we ask that you'd be with us as we continue to pray and reflect and worship. We pray this in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.